You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hello, Served Up community. Julie here. On this episode, I'm honored to introduce you to Victoria Peltier. Victoria is a 20-year corporate executive and board director. She's currently a managing director at Accenture. She is nicknamed the turnaround queen by former colleagues and employers. Victoria inspires and empowers her team and clients to change mindsets and drive growth in business, leadership, and culture. She shares with us her journey from COO at 24, president at 35, and CEO at 41. She offers suggestions and advice to be unstoppable. Victoria is a prolific motivational and inspirational speaker, discussing the importance of personal branding and its impact on professional growth, being an empathetic leader in empowering employees, and the power of DEI on corporate cultures and building a life of resilience. And I can tell you personally, Victoria is resilient. Check out Victoria's speaker and leadership site at victoria-p-e-l-l-e-t-i-e-r.com. Now sit back, grab your favorite Bloody Mary and get inspired. Victoria, hi, welcome to Served Up. We're so happy to have you. Happy to be here. Thanks, Julie. Victoria, I wanted to ask you to join us today because, you know, at Served Up, we love to feature just different people from all different industries that might have a story that would inspire our listeners. And I know you've got quite the story. Um, I've only heard bits and pieces of it. But why don't you just take us back and just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, um, where you grew up and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Uh, I will do my best to keep it as concise as possible for you. Uh, your listeners might hear a tiny, tiny bit of an accent. And it's only when I say a couple of words, namely out and about, um, that will give me away as a Canadian. Uh, so I grew up in Canada, born in the East coast, um, in Ottawa, grew up in Calgary, which I likened to Texas North, uh, you know, the Calgary stampede and uh, big oil and gas town. And so went to school there. And then I got relocated and went to Toronto right out of university and have been Toronto, New York, and now Miami ever since. And interestingly, when um, you look at career, career aspirations and how much things have shifted and maybe even some of the advice I give people around following their passions. I think I'm a classic example of that in that I thought I was going to be a lawyer. 
probably since, since childhood, quite frankly, I, I jokingly say I probably I think my mom made me watch too much of the TV series L.A. Law with her and fell in love. So that was the plan. Uh, but doing my undergrad, uh, I worked in a bank uh, in their contact center and got promoted really quickly, like within less than six months into a leadership role and and stayed there and worked there throughout the rest of my um, university. So I came out to Toronto on an assignment for a month um, before I thought I was going to law school. And in the early days of like at the time, they called it branch banking. No one was calling it digital banking back then. And had this great experience and they loved me and offered me a senior role to come out. So I thought I was going to take a year off before law school. And if I loved Toronto and the East Coast, I'd stay there. Otherwise, uh, I could always go back. And I did neither of those things, Julie. I never went to law school and I never moved back out to Western Canada. Uh, I followed my passion. I ended up loving the corporate world. I loved being a leader. And I got recruited from that bank I'd been at for about six years to another one where I ran their discount brokerage operations um, in their contact center. And within a couple of years of that, I got recruited to be the COO of an outsourcing company because they had banking clients, because it was all about contact center. And that was my experience. And so at age 24, as a new mom as well, I stepped into a massive stretch role uh, as COO and progressed. And my whole career has been predominantly business to business, either to their customer or consumer or their employees in in a lot of different industries and slices. In some cases, I've covered completely across the gamut. Uh, I spent a decade running corporate travel businesses, so know the travel and hospitality world quite well. I bought a company at one point. I've always had a side hustle. You know, there's the what you get paid to do during the nine to five, and then, you know, what you might get paid to do, but if not, it could be a passion project that grows into it and you're five to nine. Uh, And I currently lead the travel and hospitality portfolio for most of uh, Accenture across North America. And I sit on a couple of boards and, you know, get heavily involved in the startup community. I wrote a book, plan on writing another. I'm a keynote speaker. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I'm a fitness fanatic. There you go. (laughs) And you're a chief. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I mean, so what sets you apart, right? I mean, I think we've got so many people on their various career journeys, whether it's it's more creative and entrepreneurial or it's more of kind of navigating through this corporate world you know what sets you apart what where did these leaders you know what did they see in you what was kind of your work style that set you apart that that gave you these different opportunities i i think it's a couple of things so i i will readily attribute my success to in a few different buckets. So the first is around performing performance. And I always felt like my ability to show up, deliver with a very strong work ethic and usually deliver really well or effectively was within my control. So my ability to meet the deliverables or the, you know, when you get asked the question, what does success look like here? I was able to achieve those things. First and foremost, I was an avid learner. So my ability to even progress at the bank, I took, you know, different, my securities license. That's how I was able to go and even look in on the brokerage side, you know, to continuing to look to develop myself would be one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the, the other, you know, in terms of success is around personal brand, it's around networking, it's around learning how to navigate and create boundaries. 
The other thing I would say in terms of the opportunities that have been given to me beyond the fact that I've performed and delivered well has been my shift in my almost maniacal focus on leadership and culture. And, and I didn't always ha- get it right. Uh, I had to make some shifts because I think I probably had a bit of imposter syndrome at some point or felt I just needed to show up in a very different way, being a very young executive, being the only woman at the table. So I might've showed up in a certain way. And so at some point it took me a few years to, you know, get it right. And I'm not going to say I get it right all the time, but I've now built such a very strong, uh, you know, team who's engaged in quite honestly, significant follow followership. So as I've moved every few years and some of which due to the 18 and mergers and acquisitions I've been involved with, many of my team want to come with me. I think that is a significant contributor to why I've been given new, different, more opportunity. Mm-hmm. No, that that makes, I, I had a leader once tell me that, you know, um, how you know you're a great leader is based on the people that will follow you, right? Like you can always say you're great, but depending on how many people actually want to follow you determines how good you are. So that's a great point. Um, as far as, you know, I think I like what you say around performance, right? I think it's, it's really important. That's like our one controllable is, is how we perform. And then, you know, really identifying where are different ways um, that we can continue our professional development. What are some ways that your performance had opened up opportunities for you? Like an example of going above and beyond. I feel like for a lot of us that are go- going up that corporate ladder, it, it is really about performing and over-delivering to set yourself apart. But how do you show up and, and be noticed for the work that you're doing without constantly having to kind of, you know, toot your own horn? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a big difference in being an individual contributor. And then as you step into leadership roles as an individual contributor, and I will tell everyone, actually, regardless of what role you're in, getting really clear on what the deliverables are, how success is measured in the eyes of the leadership, the shareholders, whatever, and the companies you work at. So I think understanding that uniquely uh, is important and then ensuring that you perform against those expectations. And that can mean upskilling yourself if there's elements of, you know, the role or a task that you're not familiar with. Uh, it can be finding a mentor who's been there you know, longer and has a greater expertise and maybe some of that gray zone that you don't um, learn, uh, you know, from institutional knowledge. Uh, from others can help. And then as a leader, success is measured in very, very different ways. I mean, if you own a P&L, okay, it really clear. I've got to grow top line revenue by X amount year over year. We need to see why profitability. But then there's all of these other client metrics or customer metrics, employee metrics. Uh, now, as we look at ESG, are we one with profitability, with prosperity and sustainability long-term? and meeting the need for all of the shareholders. So now I actually, when you step into that leadership role, performance is measured in so, so many different ways. And for me, you asked the question over like, 
my performance and what did I do? A big part of my role as a leader, and I started in in as an executive. My my role was in outsourcing, and so people outsource corporate functions or activities. You know, jokingly, you know, our mess for less that they pass off, and you're doing that through you know people, process, and technology. But ultimately, a lot of that comes down to the people performing the work that's left that's not automated. And if they're not highly engaged, if you're not giving them the skills to be successful, then uh, you know, you're know you doing a disservice to everyone. For me, part of the reason I've been so successful is my ability to, to be one, radically candid. I don't know if your audience has heard the book, you know, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. I've always sort of operated in that. You know, I'm going to have the difficult conversation. I'm going to lean into that discomfort. But I'm going to do it, one, because I care about the individual. Two, I care about our clients, our shareholders, et cetera. And a lot of leaders can't do that. I hate this phrase right now, quiet firing. It's really just passive aggressive leadership, in my opinion. People who just are afraid to have those kind of conversations. So for me as a leader, a big part of it has been not just me performing well in the tasks I personally own, but how do I lead the team? How do I coach and guide them? But how do I also have difficult conversations and work through a performance management process if I need to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, right? I mean, with with all of the news lately around quiet quitting, quiet firing, you know, and, and I feel like more than ever, every almost every other person I'm talking to is in a career transition right now. I mean, what are your what are your thoughts around that? Do you think this is just, you know, where we are as an economy? Do you think it's a culture shift? I, I would love to know your thoughts on on kind of the environment that we're in, in in regards to the workforce. I think it's a multitude of like external forces and some that have now come internal or intrinsically because you know we were locked in our homes for for two years. Um, we're so I you know I was in New York when it first hit, so I could tell you it was much worse than you know here here in Florida in terms of uh, <laughs> my lockdown for your experience. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so I think. It's a combination of, you know, unemployment is, you know, near the lowest it's been in decades. One, because employees were sitting in their homes and taking, and there was no separation between you're staring into, you know, our our homes, no separation. It caused a great opportunity for employees to reflect on what was really important to them. What kind of balance were they going to look to strike because there was none, because again, there was no separation. And then all of these other forces that have caused us to take a look at our values and purpose. And so I think it's that all of these factors coming together where employees can demand more, different, better right now. And there's a plethora of job opportunities out there. I was just looking, I think the September unemployment rate was, I can't remember, uh, I just looked it up the other day, I can't remember if it was 3.5 or 3.75%. Immigration is the lowest it's been in decades, legal immigration. You know, so, um, you know, their employees are in a really strong position, uh, you know, to be, you know, standing up for what they want. Consumers and employees are looking to work for companies that are much more aligned to their purpose, their mission, uh, and the things that are important to them as well. And so employees are just, you know, making a choice for change. And then the last thing I would state is the younger generation, I think of my son, who's 22, makes me feel quite old and just graduating soon to graduate college. His view of, and that generation's view of job security is not the same as mine or my parents. Uh, we know, and reality is we know there's no real job security. 
but their view of it is, are you investing in me as an individual in my skills? Are you going to ensure I stay relevant for future? So as our products and services shift, our strategy changes, what are you doing to help me grow along with that? That's their view of security. And so if they're not seeing it internally, they're opting to go you know, to, to other companies versus, you know, our, our, our parents who would have just looked at it in terms of you stay there a long time and just do the work and you maybe you're fortunate enough to have a, you know, pension or 401k plan or something like that. That's a very different view. So I think it's all of those forces coming together. No one silver bullet that's kind of causing this shift in employee ideology and uh, movement. And, and it, it is a strange time because I think, you know, of course, my parents and, and how they related work is different from my generation. I think I'm like Gen X. I'm on the cusp of um, Gen X and millennial, <laughs> like to say, like right there. But I feel like growing up and my relationship with my employer is like, you know, thank you. Right. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I'm going to do the best that I can. And just like every day, be so grateful that you've got a job and you have an opportunity. And with this younger generation, it's totally different. It's like, what, what's in it for me? I don't feel like there's a sense of like loyalty and, um, and, and that's okay. Not in a bad way that they're not loyal. Like they're showing up, they're doing their job, but it's not, I need you to, you know, fulfill my career aspirations or my professional aspirations. So, you know, but then at the same time where we do hear that, um, that employees have the upper hand and, and whatnot, when you look at some of these, you know, really ideal roles and jobs, you know, there are companies that are letting people go as well, right? And and not recognizing the talent that's in front of them. And, you know, I feel like just as much I hear that the employees have the upper hand now, it also seems like it's the other way around and that people are letting go, you know, being let go and and having to reassess their careers and opportunities. What do you think about that? Do you think it's um, specific to, you know, a certain role where where there's more opportunities or seniority within your career? I mean, we're in interesting times right now with this sort of looming recession. And so I quoted some of the stats around unemployment. And so I think employers, even if not totally satisfied with their employees' performance, we're not letting them go because the challenge in backfilling them was was significant. Uh, now we're starting to see some layoffs coming uh, for sure, as everyone's sort of you know pensive and sitting back to see exactly what's going to happen with our economy and is is a recession really coming? And so I've seen in some cases some companies doing a broad base saying, "Hey, we're going to take the the lowest five percent performing and exit them." It tends to hit. Sadly, your frontline workers first, front to middle level. And, you know, the senior executives tend to often be somewhat insulated by that, which, uh, uh, you know, is is a reality, but there's a pyramid as well. And I think industry wide, I think it depends on, you know, where you sat. I think there's some industries that particularly coming out of COVID are still suffering. So I know a lot of your audience will be in the hospitality space. And you think travel and hospitality was one of the hardest, fastest hit um, when COVID hit in terms of who got laid off. And so there's now also this 
what I'm going to say, brand or reputational damage that's been done that needs to be built back up. And this, it's not a challenge just for HR to solve. It's in combination with marketing and how do you look to, you know, attract people back. And so I think that some industries and levels, you'll, you'll get people who are a little bit reticent to, to go in. And that's also potentially why you're seeing people look to explore, you know, newer, different places to insulate or protect themselves a little bit in future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and speaking of the travel and tourism and and kind of hospitality industry, and and I know in in your role working with Accenture, one of the the largest consulting you know organizations, um, and and I believe globally, right? Um, how do you work with some of these companies, and what is the direct impact and change that you've seen within that industry, kind of post COVID, because we all know, and I think we see it and we feel it when we're out there as far as like the front line. And and I know a lot of even our listeners and people in the trade have shifted, right? They've, they've went from being that the face of the bar or the restaurant or that front line to finding different ways to create a career in a more creative and maybe untraditional way, whether it's, you know, through the virtual landscape or private events or consulting. Um, what have you seen from kind of a bigger scope working with, with these industries? It it varies by subset, right? So airline versus hotel versus a cruise line, for example, very, very different experience. And, and so, I mean, at one, well, for all of them at one point around sort of passenger health and safety and wellness and all those things to, you know, protect, protect us, that's still very much at the forefront, but it's a, for many of them, they were all on a, I'll say a digital transformation. And the reality is regardless of whether you're a tech company or not, we are all on, we are all technology companies. Yeah. whether it's because of the products or services we sell, but otherwise technology enables us. And so every one of these companies was somewhere on that journey, whether it was a new reservation system they were looking to implement, whether it's a better guest experience that they wanted to create end to end. So what we saw is, you know, a pause on the capital spend on all of those things. And again, laying off employees, try, just trying to keep the lights on initially. And now they're very, very slow to start to come back you know, to try and see revenue, you know, return to at or pre-pandemic levels to find not only the ongoing operating expenses and start to invest to bring back, but also for some of these really key projects that, you know, they had underway. And they're, in some cases, they're, they're literally, you know, is a burning platform, you know, old systems for finance and accounting and HR and all these kinds of things that like tax it updates for payroll systems, pretty important to make sure, we, you know, we're all getting paid well. Well, that costs a lot of money, but at the same time, they're trying to figure out, you know, how do we get involved in the metaverse? What does this web 3.0 look like? How do you create immersive experience for, let's say, even great example, cruises? Uh, I know many of our chief uh, uh, women, fellow colleagues went on a cruise, myself included. And so look at the cruise line, you know, how do you immerse yourself to choose a different cabin category type? Uh, one, how do you build a sense of community from the people that you meet on the cruise ship? How can you create that again, sort of in the metaverse? And so what we're seeing is this mix of we're trying to recover from where we were before, really, really stretched in hiring talent to do that for all the reasons we've already talked about. 
we had needs, capital costs that were underway, but we actually really need to try and innovate because there's a different expectation for consumers and employees going forward. So it's one of the most difficult, you know, industries, I think, to work in for all of those reasons and many more we haven't spoken of today. Yeah, absolutely. And and where do you think the opportunity is? Like if you're somebody, one of these listeners looking at shifting in their career, going a different direction, but still love this crazy world of travel, tourism, and hospitality, where do you think the opportunity is? Is it, I mean, and I love that you said everybody's a technology company. I mean, at Southern Glazers, we, you know, we've been going through digital transformation for like the last 10 years. And we spoke all about that and, and we continue to, and it's great. Um, I feel like COVID kind of exasperated it, especially on our, our proof commerce, our, our commerce platform. Whereas a lot of like the B2Bs weren't ready to start buying online. They needed their salesperson and, and they still do, but it's amazing that as soon as everything shut down, our adoption rate, like went through the roof. Um, but I guess back to my original question is, there's so much talent in the industry. Um, I think it takes a very unique type of person to really want to pursue tourism, travel, and hospitality. And, you know, if they're in a shift in their career, which direction, you know, what would what advice would you give them as far as where they should focus on, you know, upskilling their their skills and in which direction um, is the biggest opportunity? Well, there's <laughs> I feel like my daughter, who now 18, but was 14 year old when uh, 14, when she asked me the question, she's like, mom, what should, what should I do? Like, and I said, oh, there's a couple different paths. I think you could go down and one could be like, a, you know, a teacher. She's great with kids uh, and special needs in particular. And I, but the stuff she talked her older brother into, right. I said, or you can go into sales. She's like, mom, which of those do you think I should go to? And I'm like, oh, and she goes, and I said, I'm going to give you the advice that you should really follow your passion and what brings you joy. She goes, okay, no, no, but tell me which one, which one makes more money? <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I feel a little bit, Julie, that that question's kind of like, you know, when I had that, this conversation with my daughter, Jordan, because I think first and foremost, I'm going to tell people truly, truly best career advice is to, to do things that you enjoy doing in the 80, 20 rule, right? There's all going to be, we have all got 20% of admin and stuff. We're just not going to like, or maybe even people we don't like, but it, 80% of the time you should enjoy doing it. So figure figure out what that is. And there's this um, great, it's a Japanese philosophy, Ikigai, and, and it's around what are you good at? What do you enjoy? Where can you make money? It's a great, there's a great, some great visuals your audience could like go and Google and take a look at. It's so like, I think that's it. But so the, like, where are things moving and how are you going to maintain your skills and be relevant for future? So clearly digital skills are booming. But there's so much, it doesn't need, mean you need to be hands-on keyboard coding. You could help lead the team through the change that's associated with what that looks like. So from project management to communications to helping others reskill, you know, for whatever change is coming. So I think there's a lot around. So the digital fluency and skills associated, that for sure. But then the other thing is you look at all of the automation that's happening and, you know, as Business leaders and HR and talent professionals look at uh, their employees. You go through this exercise of, again, look at your business strategy and products and services and where are you moving and what kind of skills and people are you going to need now and for future? And do you build the talent from within? Do you go and buy the talent? You know, do you automate 
Do you outsource? There's all these, you know, categories that you go through, but ultimately what gets left behind should be the superpower for the company uh, and the people within it. And what gets automated and moves off, what, what is left is the, are the human skills. And so that's the other thing, digital fluency and technology and related areas to focus on, but then also what sits behind. You talked about salespeople. Well, that's a really, really unique skill. And so your ability to network, develop relationships and build rapport and identify value rather than just carrying a toolkit around to sell trinkets, right? Is that's a whole other skill. So I think there's a, a multitude of ways to go, but lean into the things that you love doing for which is in demand and you can get paid for uh, and continue to like grow your skills in that area. I, I love that advice. I think, you know, it, it's got to start with what you love. You've got to make money doing it. And, you know, it's it's got to provide value. And and I feel that as, as things get automated and a lot of functions are able to be automated. I like what you said, but the the real superpowers are what's left, right? And and the people that can go above and beyond, whether it is sales or or anything like that. Very good advice. And what it what are plans for you? What are next steps for you? Tell us a little bit about your book and what do you plan to do next? A corporate executive, but really an entrepreneur. So I'm always looking to create and innovate. So I see my husband says, I'm never going to retire. I will continue to shift how I earn income. I'm very fortunate that uh, Accenture was great at letting me continue to do the things that I'm passionate about, like public speaking. I will ideally go back to being a C-suite executive. However, at some point, um, I love helping C-suite executives today, but I want to go back to being one at some point. So I will do that. I'll continue to sit on boards. I do have one co-authored book that I wrote. I do plan to write a full length one on my own over the next couple of years Mm -hmm. and continue to do speaking. That's one of the things that, uh, you know, brings me joy, engaging with audiences and in front of people and then connecting with them afterwards. So you're just going to see a shift in terms of this like corporate income here and speaking and other stuff over here to shift over time. And then ultimately, I'll just lead a, port, as they call it now, the portfolio career and boards, spotty consulting engagements when I decide to do them and uh, speaking engagements. Oh, my goodness. That sounds super exciting. So how could our listeners follow you and find you? So I have a website, which is just victoria-pelletier.com. Um, maybe it'll be in the show notes for your audience. Google me. Um, I'm everywhere out there, which makes it a little scary when I interview people and they know a lot about me or find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> well, great. We will definitely find you on LinkedIn because I know you're very active there and we appreciate so much you sharing all your nuggets with us. I feel like I, my mind is definitely going like, you know, there's so many different opportunities out there. And um, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers! Cheers!